0: Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. As always, we are enormously grateful to our incredibly generous series sponsors, Becky and Avi Katz and family, in memory of David Grossman. Our learning, as always, is Leili Nishmas David Ben Menachem Monash. Tremendous gratitude to the Katz family. Today's show is also sponsored in memory of Meshulam and David Shandel, David Avne Ben Avram Akohem, and the Nishmas have an Aliyah mm-hmm. anonymously for mm-hmm. the of Yehuda Leib Ben Malka, by Eli Mandelbaum, in memory of Gary Turkel. Chaim Yosef, Rabbi Ephraim Halevi, friend who is truly missed but never forgotten, and that is uh, for sure, I agree. So thank you so much to our generous sponsors. We have the privilege this week of learning Parshas Naso, the longest parsha on the Torah, page seven forty eight in the Arthkrol Stone Chomish. Before we dive in, it's not a coincidence that we read Parshas Naso on the Shabbos after Shavuos. The Chidush Arim, the great Chidush Arim, pointed out the most medrash that we have. The most insight of Chazal on any Parsha is on the Parsha of Nassau. If you open the Medrash, the rabbis had the most to say on Parsha is Nassau. And that is not a coincidence. That is because the Shabbos after Shavuos, after we stood at the base of that mountain, after Kabbalah's Torah, that we re-received the Torah, we reinvest ourselves in the learning and study of Torah. And therefore, there is the most Torah Shabbat on Parshas of because that is the way that we commemorate, we celebrate the holiday of Shavuos, is continuing to learn, indeed, many of the tzaddikim and Echasidim call the Shabbos after Shavuos, Shabbos noch Shavuos, which means the Shabbos after Shavuos. It means that Shavuos didn't end with Shavuos. You don't put Matan Torah, Kabbalah, in the rearview mirror. You don't put Talmud Torah in the rearview mirror. It's not the end of something, it's only the beginning. This is our reinvigorated commitment to Talmud Torah, to the learning of Torah, to, study of, to the study of, of Torah. Life is not slowing down. Life is speeding up. And indeed, you know this the halacha, we're not saying tachanun in these days. For six days following at least the second day of Yontif, seven days in Israel following the first day of Yontif. For one week, we don't say Tachrin because these are days of Tashlumen. Shavuos has no cholamoid, the makeup days to bring the korban. If you missed it, one has a week after Shavuos. So it maintains the sanctity, the holiness, the oros, the light of Shavuos. It means that we're still bebechinas shavuos. We're still receiving the Torah. We're still learning Torah, loving Torah, growing from Torah. The Mishnah Perkei tells us, Torah lishma, harbe." A person who learns Torah lishma with a geshmak, with a bren, with an excitement, with a fire. If you learn Torah, not to superimpose on Torah your preconceived notions, but to listen and hear what Torah has to say to engrave on your heart, Torah lishma, your zochel harbe, which is a very peculiar promise. We find a lot of things in the Torah, a lot of meritorious, virtuous deeds whose reward is spelled out as, Zochel Olam Haba, merit Gan Eden, merit all kinds of bracha. Here the bracha, Zochel dvarim Harbe, dvarim Harbe is the most generic bracha. Imagine you go to a gadol, you go get a bracha and they say, It should be to many things. Shkoyach, you can't specify any, good health, Parnasa Nachas, something specific. Dvarim Harbei. So, Revetia Meyer Morgenstern in his Bayam Derechacha, the new Sefer that came out this year on Shavuos, he says, Dvarim Harbay maybe is an allusion. Dvarim adibur Dibur, a Sarasa Dibros, a Asara ma'amaros nevra Hashem created the world with sayings, with speech, with words. Hashem created the world the world with the letters of Torah, with the alphabet of Torah. And a person who learns Torah, l'ishma, you are creating and recreating, you are sustaining the world, you are continuing the conversation of the Asaras hadibros, yirzocha le dvarim, to many dvarim diburim. Yerzocha to many the Advarim, The conversation continues. So shavuos is not the end of the conversation. Shavuos is just the very beginning. And a person who learns Torah l'shma zochel Harbay, harbei yerzocha to continuing this conversation that began with the aseres hadvarim, aseres hadibros, and continues every time we open Torah. So our learning of Torah is the continuation of Har Sinai. It is the continuation of the experience of Har Sinai. With that we begin. Perak dalad the census continues, or the census of the tribe of Levi, who were counted separately than the rest of Klai Yisrael. And we showed the insight of Reb Chaim why that is. Because if they were counted among Klai Yisrael, they would bear the burden of the mistake of Klai Yisrael with the Chayta Egel. Ay, Hashem can't count them together, but not hold them accountable. He can. But we spoke last time but the idea that our value, our worth, is intertwined with the sector that we identify with. That's the significance of the community, the minion that we choose to identify with, the significance of the friends that we choose. Our stock, so to say, rises independent of our own individual value, but who we identify with. So Levi needed to be counted separately. We go through some of the responsibilities of Levi. And of course, again here, even though we have many words, limnos, lispor, we have many Hebrew words we could have used to count. Instead, we use the word naso as rosh, to lift the head. As we also said previously, when you count and you make someone feel counted, you lift them, you lift their spirits, you make them feel valued. We live in a world where too many people feel invisible and inconsequential and unimportant. And we need to count them and make them feel counted. We need to make them feel heard. They mean something. They matter. And we lift a person's head, we lift their spirit, we count them, and we make them feel, and we make them feel counted. But moving over to Paracade, the bottom of page 750. The purification of the camp, maintaining a pure and a holy and a sacred space, a sacred and safe camp. Command the people, and they should expel from the camp anyone who has tzaras, anyone who is azav, Anyone who is contaminated by exposure to a, to a corpse. All of these people need to be outside the camp. They belong outside the camp. The Jewish people followed. And this is, of course, I think in our time, a very powerful reminder a message and difficult balance to strike. How do we, on the one hand, make our camp our community, warm and welcoming and have a place for everybody? But how do we also protect and preserve and secure it from being contaminated and corrupted in its ideas and values and practices? How do we strike that balance of the environment? And that world has changed with the internet and a global community and technology where you cannot keep out the world. You cannot protect and turn entirely insular. So here the Torah is telling us that there is a value and a notion to maintaining the purity of a camp, we don't just, in the name of making it welcoming and warm for anyone, say anything goes. There is a balance between the two, and how do we find and strike that balance is a very, very important and a very difficult conversation. But the next section, is really where I want to begin. Torah tells us, Hashem tells Moshe, Speak to B'nai Israel and tell them, a man or a woman who commits any chait mikol chatos ha'adam. What is a chait? A chait is a miss. The proper definition of chait is not sin. Sin is a Christian, a Catholic word. It's not a Jewish word. I don't know what the word sin means. A chait is a miss. It's a missed opportunity. The Torah is 613 invitations from Hashem connect. It's 613 opportunities to live our best selves. And when we... Don't take advantage of that invitation or that opportunity. When we violate that invitation or opportunity, we have violated a chait. A chait means a miss. In Tanakh, the word chait hichti is to miss. To miss the mark, to miss the target. It's a miss. So a man or a woman who misses the mark, lim'ol ma'al. And when a person misses the mark, then they've become guilty. They've performed me'ila, treachery, against Hashem. We'll have to see what that means. Such a person is guilty. So, what does one do when they miss the mark? A person has to confess. person has to make an admission. You can't grow and improve if you don't make an admission. You have to be willing to say, I failed, in order to be able to say, I got better. So, for example, I hope the entire Celtics franchise last night was saying, We failed miserably. The number two seed, we were supposed to win. We won three games and came back. And we lost in game seven. We didn't even show up. We gave in, <laughs> Boston. <laughs> the best two words in the entire English language. Beat Boston. It's the best two words in the whole English language. So Boston lost, failed. I read an article that, I, it's amazing how much, amazing how much feedback this article got uh, about Yanis. Uh, after the Bucks were all but swept in the first round when they were the favorite to win it all. And his press conference. A person asked "duas, to You have to say, I missed. I came up short. You know what, that doesn't define me. I'm not a failure. My life is not a failure. But in this particular goal or ambition, in this particular test, I failed, I came up short, and I'm going to learn from it, and I'm going to improve from it, and I'm going to get better from it. But if a person just wants to give a TED talk instead of a press conference, and say, you know, life is one big, and it's fun, and there's ups and downs, and that's just the way it goes, and everybody enjoy the off-season, then you're not going to improve, you're not going to grow, you're not going to get better, you're not taking responsibility, you're not taking ownership, you're not taking accountability. So the Torah says, It shouldn't define us and it doesn't limit us. We shouldn't beat ourselves up and we shouldn't be riddled with shame. But we cannot improve and grow, we cannot bounce back, we cannot get better if we don't identify where we went wrong, how we came up short, and if most importantly, we don't take responsibility and ownership. There has to be an admission, there has to be a concession, that I missed? is another word for I failed. You have to pay the principal amount and add a fifth and give it to the person you're indebted to. We're talking here about Gezel HaGer. Someone stole from a convert and the convert's no longer here. And whom do you return it to? Because he has no offspring or progeny. You give it to the Kohen. So here on this uh, on this uh, on this on pasuk Rav Salavichek has a comment Listen to what the Rav says The concept of ownership as it applies to man differs fundamentally from how it applies to Hashem. If an object belongs to someone he can grant permission for others to use it in the case of items that belong to Hashem, however, another factor comes into play. The object is considered hektish. The use of the dative case in the phrase, haaretz umla'a, To Hashem is the whole earth and everything in its fullness. Till this day, I learned this when I was young, every safer I buy or I'm gifted, every safer I write inside not only my name, but on top I write, Lashem haaretz umla'a. There is such a minag to suggest, it's, even though I'm writing my name, if it gets lost or I left it somewhere, please return it. But it's not mine. And why is it not mine? Because La Ha'aretz La, really everything belongs to Hashem, the whole earth and everything in it. Instead of the possessive, the earth and its fullness are God's, signifies that God not only owns the world in the juridic sense, but that the world is consecrated to Him as well. He doesn't just own the world, but the world is dedicated, devoted, consecrated. Its purpose, its mission is to serve Him. Note the grammatical construction, Lashem Haaretz, Umloah, is similar to the standard formula for consecrating an animal, Lashem Chatas. When one sins, says the Rav, he violates the prohibition of Me'ila, of illicit use of consecrated items. Hashem is not only the creator of the universe, he's the master of everything, including man. Thus we say and plead in the Slichos the soul is yours, Han-Hashem Allah, Vaguf Palach, the Nashem is yours, Han-Hashem Allah. And everything in this world belongs to Hashem. Man's powers are to speak on loan, temporarily leased to him by Hashem. Hashem endows man with life for a certain period of time. He allows man ownership over himself for the allotted period. The ownership over man by him is utilized by the individual in a number of ways, through free will, through the exercise of intellectual powers, through his potential ability to create, and so on. By sinning, man loses the rights and privileges that were given to him. In other words, the Rav is bothered. Why in the context of stealing are we invoking the term mi'ilah? Mi'ilah is a term for hektish. Mi'ilah is a specific term used when it comes to the hamikdash, the Mishkan. If you dedicate, you gift a chair. You say, this chair, I hereby dedicate, I donate to the hamikdash." You can't sit on that chair. You can't get personal benefit from the chair. It's a holy chair. It's a sacred chair. It's a consecrated seat. You can't get a personal benefit. You violate mi'ilah, to pay back the principal and a fifth with mi'ilah. So why are we utilizing the term mi'ilah, a specific term that has to do with that which is consecrated in the context of stealing in general from this world? And the Rav so brilliantly and beautifully says, because the world and everything in it should and must be consecrated to Hashem. We and our lives, what we own, everything in it, It is all devoted in the service of Hashem. It is all there and it is granted to us. We are stewards of it to help us pursue our mission to serve Him. And when we use it, not for its intended purpose, when we violate its consecrated responsibility, we steal from it. So when we waste time and we squander time and we spend time on We've stolen that time from Hashem. Time is a gift from Hashem. Just ask someone who's running out of it. Time is the greatest gift, the greatest commodity. You can't slow it down and you can't get it back. And you can't replace it if you've killed it. It's an act of murder. And if you waste it and you squander it, we've stolen. And worse more than stolen it from Hashem, it's an act of me'ila. We have violated the consecrated nature of time to be used for a holy purpose, to be used well, to be used purposefully. And the same is true for our property and our assets, for all the material gifts we've been given. If we use them for personal benefit, if we use them not to advance the agenda of Hashem, which includes our pleasure, it doesn't mean you can't enjoy your house and your car and your clothing and a good meal. Hashem wants us to enjoy those things, but under His rules and under His regulations and in the context of enhancing our life so we can best represent and be his ambassadors and serve him. And when we don't, when we use it in the service of ourselves, when we use it for our own ego, it's an act of mi'ilah. And the Rav brilliantly, insightfully says, that's why the Torah is invoking the term meila, even though we're just talking about stealing. At the conclusion of Yom Kippur and the ilah, we say, you extend your, right hand, your hand to the transgressors and your right arm to the outstretched to receive repentance. You taught us Hashem to confess our transgressions before you. One may well wonder why thievery Right? The, the end of that in the Elah we say, so that we might cease from the thievery of our hands. So we might cease from stealing. One may well wonder, says the Rav, why thievery is the one and only sin for which the Jew brings himself before Hashem and knocks on the gates of mercy and pardon at the conclusion of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is ending. And here we are, the pinnacle, the peak, the climax, the very end, the Elah. We say, Hashem, forgive us. Grant forgiveness for our hands that steal. That's the thing. I, I, didn't, I didn't break into anyone's bank account. I didn't put my hand in anyone's wallet or pocket or pocketbook. That's what I have to confess in this great moment, in the last moment of Ne'ilah. That's what we're admitting to. Aside from theft, theft another 44 transgressions are enumerated in the Al-Khayt. Why is stealing singled out with a special emphasis in Ne'ilah? Says the Rav, theft actually encompasses all types of Khayt. With every sin he commits, the Jew forgoes his right of possession over his own life. A Jew who studies for intellectual enjoyment is utilizing his power of wisdom, which belongs to Hashem and is only temporarily placed at his disposal. The moment intelligence is contaminated by impure intent, Hashem's right to this God-given attribute expire. Any further exercise of it is a form of theft. The same applies to all the other transgressions which can deprive man of ownership and the right to use his own physical and spiritual faculties. Through sin, man destroys his right to live to life with his own hands through sin man forgoes his right to control the physical forces which vitalize the body. When he goes on living a life of sin, it is outright theft. When a, when a man repents and regrets, it is as if a new transaction has taken place and the contract of ownership has been renewed between him and his Creator." And that's why we mention theft, because the chait of stealing is the overarching all of the hate is underneath it. We stole time, we stole possessions, we stole the breath in our light, in our lungs. We stole our life by misusing and misapplying it. So theft is the overarching theme. Everything else is included under it. A very beautiful insight. Perakay potzuk Tezvov. Moving along, the Sota. Those who just learned Mesachah Sota and the Daf Yomi are holding by the story of the Sota, the wayward woman, the woman who is acting somewhat loosely, promiscuously, flirtatiously, her husband warns her, says, I see you talking to that man, don't seclude yourself with him. Don't seclude yourself. She goes and secludes herself and there are witnesses who testify she was alone with him. And now he challenges, he brings her to the coin, to the base of She drinks from the Mayim they test her, whether in fact she was guilty behind closed doors of infidelity, of violating their sacred vow of their marriage in which case she dies a horrible death, as does he, the man with whom she had the affair. Or, if she's innocent, she merits the bracha of Hashem. She is incredibly fertile, she conceives, and she has a beautiful little tzadakal, a beautiful little baby. The Pasik tells us, Perek tezvav. pasuk tezvav. What happens? The man brings his, the brings his wife to the Kohen. He brings his wife to the Kohen. He brings her offering for her, tantef of barley. It does not pour oil over it. it, doesn't pour frankincense. It's a meal offering of jealousness, a meal offering of remembrance, a reminder of the iniquity of her egregious error and of her mistake. It says the Otsar Plo why is she bringing a carbon of Saorim? Most of the carbon is flour, flour of wheat. This is flour not of wheat, but flour of barley. Why of barley, not of wheat? He quotes the Sefer Toldus Yitzchak. Why? Eight reasons why this promiscuous woman, her carbon is of barley, not of wheat. Number one, Ha'ech le viyam achalam Saorim, shu karbana. She attracted this uh, man, her husband, with sweets. Her meal is machel behemah, saorim. Man eats wheat. Why? Why do we eat bread flour of wheat? Because you have to plant it and harvest it and grind it and knead it and it has to rise. Bread is uniquely manipulated and baked by man. Animals can eat barley, barley grinded into flour. So barley is the food that we give an animal. She acted like an animal. She gave into her animal impulse, animal instinct. She acted like an animal. We give her a carbon like an animal. Number two, Azaz Panim. Number two, saurim is brazen. Azaz Panim. There is no shell, there's no outside peel. It's exposed, and she's exposed. Her brazenness, her chutzpah, her temerity. Similarly, the wheat, the barley rather, is only underground for a very short time until it grows on top of the ground. And she, where she could have been, should have been living modestly within her home, she was out about on the street, flirting. She was a woman of the street. Number four. The heat. And the cold and the passion and the lust. Number five, she didn't give her taiva, her lust had no measure. Saorim sounds like shiur, a measure, just like her brazenness, her lust, her promiscuousness, her licentiousness had no measure. Similarly, the Saorim has no measure. Shishi number six, Sara Sashem Chemia Sarma Khalal Rosh Harisha Yikhol and Shvi lo Sid Kani is Yatim Mitraim, he has eight reasons why you got the just the majority of them. She's brought to the Kohain where she is tested. Continuing in the story of the sota. The Hishka Saisha is me'a marim, She's given to drink from this bitter water, Ubaba Amaimam Aramarim. And the uh, Pasuk says, Turn to page 756. Uh, he calls her to drink the bitter waters that cause curse. And the waters that cause curse shall come into her for bitterness. The Zohar Kadosh tells us something amazing. What's the reason she's drinking this bitter water? The Torah wants to punish her and him. If she's guilty, she's and a woman who practices infidelity is forbidden to return to her husband, and she's also forbidden to be with the man with whom she had the affair. She's forbidden to both. She should not think she'll divorce her husband, but she'll begin a new life with the man with whom she cheated. She's forbidden to both. And there are all kinds of halachic, very complicated questions, unfortunately, I've had to deal with, of if a man knows, accepts that her, his wife cheated, they can't be together. How can they restore, how can they save their marriage? There has to be some doubt, some question of, in fact, how far her wife went with another. So much so that perhaps she's even coached not to be entirely transparent in a way which will preclude the ability of the future of this marriage to heal. But how unhealthy is that to not be transparent after there's been an act of unfaithfulness? It's a very, very complicated Very complicated question. So why does the Torah, why does Hashem insert the Mayim Ma'aririm? So unlike what we think, it's to catch her, it's to get her, it's to prove her wrong, it's exactly the opposite. It's brought down by many. The reason is to exonerate her. Hashem allows His name to be erased because in the ingredients in this mixture that she's going to drink, is Hashem's name. It's written on the cloth that's placed in the water. And Hashem's name is erased because even though there's a tremendous... Prohibition, to erase Hashem's name, Mechikas Hashem. Hashem says, I'd rather my name be erased for the sake of Shalom Bayis, To preserve the unity and harmony in this home, to keep this couple together, I'd rather my name be erased. Hashem is willing to allow his name to be erased. Why? So that this husband can finally overcome his suspicion. You see, it's only natural to be suspicious. And the man here has reason to be suspicious. She has secluded herself. And you have two witnesses, kin of Astira. you have two witnesses who testify she in fact secluded herself with a man. So when he's suspicious of what happened behind those closed doors, it's for very good reason. How will he ever overcome it? How will he ever trust her? How can they ever rebuild and restore? How can she ever earn his trust again? Hashem says, I'll let my name get erased. Let her drink the Mayim Ma'arim. And the intent and the purpose, the goal of it, is not to find her guilty, to catch her, to hold her accountable, though it serves that purpose, but the intent is in fact the opposite. Hashem needed to go to great measure to restore faith and remove suspicion. So the Torah quotes an amazing Zohar. The Zohar in our parsha says, Among the way the Egyptians tortured, if you want to torture someone, Tell them that you cheated with their wife, that their children are not theirs, that in fact you are the father. I'm not actually making a suggestion how to torture someone. (laughs) But you want to torture someone, all you need to do is sow the seed of suspicion. All you need to do is plant the smallest suspicion. By the way, your wife cheated and your children aren't your own. You might want to do a paternity test. Have a great day. So the Mitzram, as part of the way they oppressed and tortured the Jewish people in Egypt, was to regularly taunt the Jewish men and said, we cheated with your wives, and those children aren't yours, and there were no paternity tests in Egypt. And there were many men who couldn't overcome such suspicion. Once it's planted, it's hard to overcome. What did Hashem do to silence these instigators, to silence these prosecutors? Says the Zohar, an entirely new reading on the story when the Jewish people came to the place that was ultimately called Mara, because the Mayim was Marim. There was bitter water and they complained of its bitterness. Why did Hashem give them bitter water? And why did He name the place Bitterness? Says the Zohar, because this was a big mesota. All the bitter water was so that all the women would drink it and the men could now say, Pshh. they didn't mean it. They were taunting me. They were torturing me. I have no suspicion. We can move on. And Hashem told Moshe to write His name in the May Mara, at the place called Mara. This was an early enactment of the May Sota, So that the men could be freed of their suspicion and all the women were proven innocent. None of the men cheated, none of the women cheated and all of them were worthy. And this wasn't because Hashem needed to prove it. Hashem knows what happens behind closed doors. It was all. So that with harmony and peace and Shalom Bayis, they could go into the desert and march to Sinai and march to Eretz Yisrael suspicion-free. Isn't that amazing? It's a whole new reading of Meimara, that the Mayim Kimarimheim was really not something negative that they should have complained about, was a gift from Hashem to prove the innocence and exonerate all of the, all of the women. Amazing, amazing. Shem did it again after the Misa Egel. There's evidence. Was there ever a Sota in history? Otze HaTorah has pages and pages. Everything you can want to know of this and more. But here are some interesting ones. Pasach vav. You got to love the Otze HaTorah. I do. She brings the carbon. You have the whole process. And then the coin gives her the water to drink. Now, when you and I drink water... Gordon's sipping on his coffee. Before he drank his coffee, what did he do? Now that our cups have been sponsored, the next batch, please God, you have on your cup, caffeinate with kavana, Sha'kol niye bidvaro. Each cup will remind us to live with Amuna, to caffeinate with kavana, to remember to make that bracha with kavana. So, freg da'utzah plos ha'torah. yashke you give the woman the water to drink, does she make a bracha? Does the mesota get a bracha? Does she make a shahakol? Or maybe not a shahakol. Maybe what should she make? Maybe a mitzvah. Assuming it's a mitzvah to drink the mesota in this circumstance, does she make a bracha? I never would have thought to ask that question. But the author of the Ozzar Plus, HaTorah, Did. And then he says, when I went to Eretz Yisrael in the month of Iyar, Tavshin Ayin Hei, I went around asking the Gedolim this question. and all of them answered the same. That the woman does not make a birchas hasanen. And why? Because the Shulchan Archa and Archaim Semen tells us, you know, what if you're not thirsty, but before you go to bed, you have to take medicine. So you take a sip of water to take your medicine. Do you make a bracha on that sip of water? No. Shulchan no? you're not thirsty or it doesn't have a good taste you don't enjoy it it doesn't matter that you're putting it in your mouth and swallowing it that is not the definition of eating and drinking the definition of eating and drinking is enjoyment, pleasure and what precipitates a birchas ananin is the pleasure and is the enjoyment at 2 o'clock on Shavuos night in Smeichas Chavir we gave a sheer on this topic on the Machlokas Rambam Ravid Rosh Rabbeinu Yona. it's a big, big Machlokas do you make a bracha on us or food? Person is eating non-kosher food, do they make a bracha? If you're eating on a fast day, not because you need to to live, but because you don't care that it's a fast day, do you make a bracha? Do you make a bracha when you're violating something in eating? Mitzvah Vera, Is it, you should make the bracha anyway because you're getting pleasure. Is that not called pleasure? We spoke about, let's say you have a home where three people who need to eat on Yom Kippur, not shiurim. they need to eat outright, and they ate bread. Do they bench Zimun on Yom Kippur? Do you make Kiddush? Do you say Yalvayavo? And do you bench Bezimun on Yom Kippur? Big discussion. Two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, Shavuos night. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. So the Shulchan Aruch here says that if you're drinking because you want a sip of of uh, water for medicine, you don't make a bracha. You don't make a bracha. So, because of that, similarly here, they were bitter. They weren't pleasurable. She didn't enjoy drinking them at all. And therefore, there's no birchas She wasn't drinking because she was thirsty. She wasn't drinking because she craved a nice diet of pishnapple. She was drinking because she was forced to. What about a birchas mitzvah? So, Rechayim Kaneevsky's that's She would not make a birchas mitzvah. Why? Because the Gemara Baruchah says, Sota You don't make a bracha on a kos of poranos of sadness or tragedy. She would suffer a horrible death if in fact she was guilty and therefore she does not make a bracha. Now, what about a sota who knows she's innocent? So maybe now it's a koshal bracha. Why? It's not a koshal poranos. If she says, I don't remember or I'm guilty, but I hope they won't figure it out or it was borderline. Why that is, I'll tell you when the camera's off. But if she knows she's innocent, she says, we play chess, we play checkers. He helped me figure out Wordle. We didn't do anything. There was no physical contact. There was no affection. There certainly wasn't a violation of the fidelity of our marriage. She knows she's innocent. So now she gets all excited. Why? Because now when she drinks the Myanmar, what's going to happen? She's going to get pregnant. In fact, who threatened God with this? Chana. Chana with her Ozzuz de Kedusha. Chazal say she had a holy chutzpah. What was her holy chutzpah? It was also a Yiddish cup. A holy chutzpah with a Yiddish cup. She said, Hashem, give me a baby. Because if not, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to seclude myself with a man. And I'll be taken to the Mishkan. And I'll be forced to drink the water. And you'll have no choice but to make me pregnant. So let's skip all that. And just make me pregnant to begin with a holy chutzpah, and the yiddish cup. So, so this woman is innocent, and she knows it's not a coast of paranos, it's a coast of bracha. She's going to have a baby. So maybe she should make a bracha. She wants to drink this water. It's going to yield a baby. The Gemara says, if she was barren, she'll get pregnant. If she has only girls, she'll have a boy. If, she, if they're short, her children will be tall. If they have a bad complexion, they'll have a beautiful complexion. Okay, whatever it is. So everybody wants to upgrade some love. It's a kosher bracha. So he says he heard from Rav Chaim the following. And then he found it in the safer time of the crowd. Rav is safer. <speaking in Hebrew> like, you wouldn't make a bracha if you're being, if you're, being taken out to be executed, Chaye Baisdin, Mrs. Baisdin, you don't make a bracha. Sheker Shonam Misavet Zivano, Alasqila. Then start throwing stones. Push me off the off the off the off the building. You don't make a bracha on death, Mrs. bezden. You don't make a bracha here. But what about if she's Tahora? Kevan Shetchilas and Yana BeAvera, Eimav Archnal Davar Shaba Said Rav Chaim But remember, true in the end, she's innocent. She's exonerated. She gets a bracha. How'd she get into this circumstance? It wasn't the husband noticed the wife at the kiddush, at the shmorg, at the wedding. And he says, I don't like the way you were talking to that guy over the sushi. He said to her, don't seclude yourself. And she secluded herself. And witnesses saw so testified. That's the woman who drinks the water. So it's true in the end, she gets a bracha. But how did she get into that circumstance? Because she did era. She violated the prohibition of Yichud. Even Mike Pence knows you can't be alone. And she was alone. Let's say you stole and you return what you stole. Do you make a bracha? Let's say you charged ribits, or you paid ribbus, and you refund it. Interest, do you make a bracha? No, says the rashba, why not? There's a mitzvah, Why not? Because you don't make a bracha on a The only way that you got into that circumstance for the mitzvah was through an Aveira. Since you had to do the Aveira to get to the mitzvah, you don't make a bracha. Said Chaim Kanievsky, the same thing was true over here. The same thing was true over here. Fascinating. Do you make this bracha, not make this bracha? By the way, it's left with a question we mentioned previously, but I won't make you listen to a previous year for this. You gotta wonder, based on that calculation, she violated something to get in that circumstance, that position that she got the bracha. Why'd she get a bracha? She'd say, okay, you know what, the water tested her. You're innocent, you were right, you were correct. You were honest, you didn't do anything. Now, quickly, go while you can. Get back to life, get back with your husband, go out on a date night, get away for a little bit, but just escape while you can. Instead, she gets a bracha? By what does she get a bracha? when she had to do something bad to get there to begin with. So there are beautiful insights that say we need to know, even if we've done something wrong, but if we could have continued that which we did, which was wrong. Hashem holds precious every moment we choose to do something right. Every moment matters. So someone spent three hours looking at the wrong images online, but after three hours and a minute they say, you know what, I'm bigger, I'm better than this, I'm bigger than this, enough, I'm turning it off. Hashem says, give me a hug. You're precious, you're dear. Uh, we have to have a talk about the three hours, mm-hmm. some consequences to the three hours, but we don't ignore the minute that you found the courage and conviction to now stop. You said all this juicy Lashon Hara and the last little tidbit you held back because you felt a little guilty. Shem says, no, give me a big hug. It matters, it means something. Even when we find the will, even for that little bit, it means something, it matters. We need to know That even if you're not on the highest level, no matter how far you've fallen, no matter how distant you are, no matter the mistakes that we've made, every little bit matters. Hashem needs it. He cares about it. It means something to him, it makes a difference to him. Pasa Khafches. Moving along in our story of the sota. Vimlonit Mahisho Taurhi, the nix of a nizra Zara, if she's innocent, then she's blessed. Now what happens if she's pregnant? The promise and the bracha for being innocent is what? She gets pregnant. But what if she's already pregnant? Can she bank it? Does it roll over the bracha? <laughs> A pregnant woman, do you give her to drink or not? Why? If she's pregnant but she's guilty... She's a particularly bad woman if she was pregnant and promiscuous. But if she's pregnant and she's guilty and she drinks this water, what will happen? Rashi says the baby will die with her. Even if she's nursing and the baby relies exclusively on her, but she mistakenly secluded herself and is accused, and if she's guilty of infidelity, too bad. The baby goes with her. Tosfus disagrees. Tosus says, Why? What did this fetus, what did this baby do wrong? You're going to kill this fetus, this baby? Because the mother acted promiscuously? Wait until she gives birth and then give her a drink, says Tosus. Then says Tosus. And Tosus bases it on a, on a Sifri Zuta, on our Parsha. The next of an Izra Zara, Prat Lizro'ah, Lomar Ein Ubra He derives from the Pasuk. Only if she is not pregnant does she drink. If she's pregnant, first she gives birth, and then we give her to drink afterwards. So, based on this Pasuk and based on this Machlok, I don't want to take the time because there was a lot more I wanted to get into, but he quotes here the halachic literature the Benishchai and the Sefer Rav Pa'alem, the Chavaz Yair, the Yavetz, ultimately the Maharit, Rav Moshe. Has Kasafti Kozel Inyan, he invokes this Machlokis Rashi when it comes to which question? Abortion. If you hold this fetus is not a baby, has no identity, has no value of a human life, then why is Tussle trying to preserve the Uber? Why can't she drink? Just like her heart, her lungs, her kidney, and her liver, her organs all go down with her if she's guilty, so her uterus and the uterine blob inside can go down with her. It's just a organ of hers right? Is it her body, her choice, her organ? Or no. It happens to be gestating inside her, but it's not her choice. It's not her organ. It has a value of a life, or at least of a potential life. And having the value of a potential life, says Tosvos, how could you end or extinguish this potential life that will grow into a life when it, he or she, didn't do anything wrong? So the poskim in discussing and addressing the question of abortion, invoke this machlokas rashi in trying to identify what prohibition do you violate. Rav Moshe was the strictest. Chavaz Yair said abortion is just a prohibition of sheikh al lev'atalah. That was the Chavaz Yair. Others say it's a prohibition of chavala. Rav Moshe held it's ritzicha, it's murder. It's murder of life or potential life. This is part of the evidence. And Ramosha writes, And I write what I write as intensely as I write, said Ramosha, because in our world, because now abortion is so popular, not only in the diaspora, but even in Israel. And so many thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of babies have been murdered. We have to go above and beyond to make a fence. Of course, there are circumstances. We don't believe abortion is ever permissible. We believe termination is not only at times permissible, but it's halachically required. It's not a share in abortion. We don't have time. But we should use our language carefully and distinguish between abortion, which is prohibited, and terminating a pregnancy, which halacha not only allows, but requires at times. If the mother's life is threatened, if you have need to do fetal reduction, it's a multiple pregnancy where one threatens the other. There are circumstances even some postkin will allow resulting from rape or incest or certain terminal illnesses that that fetus might have. There are circumstances that halacha might allow termination but not abortion. So Rav is railing against not termination but abortion. Because abortion abortion Wantonly is, is an act of murder. It's not elective. It's not a woman's choice. It's not her body. Termination at times, specific circumstances, is permissible. And he writes, It is a prohibition. So, from this pasuk, from this zara, her reward, Rashi Taisus, is where the post can invoke this, this question. Okay, moving right along. I think we're moving on from. The Isha Sota. Perak Vav Posek Beis. 758. What comes after? Sota, Laminis machapasha Sota, Lapashas, Nazir. Comes after it in the Torah. Page 758. Perak Vav Posek Aleve, Ben Isha Isha Ki Yafli Nazir If a man or woman, Yafli, wondrously makes a vow to be a Nazir to. Hashem, if the individual wondrously makes this vow to Hashem. So first of all, you know, when you take the Bechina to get into the kolal at Rabbi Yitzchak HaKonon, Yeshiva University, and of Shechter, I don't know if he's still giving the Bechinas to get into his kolal fee specifically, one of the questions that he would ask is, can a woman be a Nazir? Can a woman be a Nazir? Why did he ask that question? Because a lot of Yeshiva guys will say, Stam nezir shloshim yom is it a are women involved? Not involved. It. It's a pasuk in the Torah. Ish o isha lindor neder. Rav Shechter and Shir all the time would emphasize: you got the to know the pesukim. Then you got to know the mission of the Gemara, the halacha. You got to go back to the basics. You got to know the Psukim. Ish o isha. It begins with the pesukim. Ish o isha. A man or a woman who vows to not drink. Who vows to become a Nazir, Yazir, can't drink wine or grape product, can't cut their hair, and can't be exposed to contaminated to a corpse. Why does Nazir appear right after sota? So Chazal tell us, because Kolo Roa Sota Yazir Atma min hayayin. Whoever sees a sota bikilkula, if you see what happened what promiscuity leads to, what living with no boundaries leads to, what following your urge and your impulse leads to, then you better, you better vow not to drink wine. So Okay, so you won't drink wine. You're still going to go to the party and club. You're still going to flirt. You're still going to be licentious. You're still going to be lewd. Not drinking wine is only part of the solution. Why don't we give a more wholesale approach to how to live a more modest and virtuous life. We specifically only say, lay off the alcohol, not all alcohol, lay off the wine, the great product. And the answer is, When you want to make a change in life, don't try to take on too much, take on one thing. Make a Kabbalah and let the Kabbalah that you make become the reminder that you need to do things differently. So every time you grab the L'chaim, every time someone invites you to make a L'chaim, every time you feel like throwing back a nice ice-cold beer, the beer you can have the Nazir, just the wine. Every time you feel like a nice glass of wine, you'll remind yourself, you know what? I'm a changed person. I'm working on myself. I'm a different person. So you're right. The wine alone is not enough, but you can't take on too much. The message to the Nazir is, take on one thing, and through the one thing, you will grow, and you will change, and you will become, and you will become better. Rafutner made the following comment. What do we call in Yonim, in yonim Hadibur? The Torah calls them hafla'ah. The Rambam, in his Mishnah Torah, is HaChazaka, all the Allahas that have to do with speaking, taking vows and the like, appear in the volume for the Rambam, called Sefer Hafla, And where do you get that from? Our pasha. Our pasha. So Footner, based on the Ramah, the Ramah and Achaim Vav, says the following, the bracha asher Yatzar. person relieves themselves, the world's greatest factory, called the human body, executed properly, held back the nutrients, and, and, um, eliminated the waste, Incredible factory. You come out, you make a bracha. Asher yatzar, And what do we end the bracha? Umafli la'asos. What does that mean, umafli la'asos? The mafli Pele, is a wonder. Pella is a wonder. You know what a wonder it is that Hashem is able to house our spirit, our soul, in this body? The soul and the body are opposites. They're in conflict. How do they integrate? How do we have this hybrid? How do they live together and cooperate and collaborate? How do they work together? It's a pella. It's a pella. And that's um la asos. That's the pella. And the Mishnahbura says the one of the Ramah is. is hamachal. Hamachal. Um, hamachal. The food. Food can be a physical, hedonistic act of indulgence. That's the animal part of us eating. But eating can also be a very spiritual thing. Eating is what sustains us, gives us life. Every time we eat, we're connecting to Hashem, who is the sustainer of life through eating. And eating can be a very holy activity. And the fact that we can achieve both a holy activity and a mundane, hedonistic activity through the same thing called food connects them. That's why speech is called because speech is the bridge that unites the spiritual world and the physical world. When we speak, we bring ideas and thoughts and emotions and feelings and dreams into the physical world and the physical reality. So that's why a nazir, this nazir used the power of speech to take upon himself this new identity of a nazir. Torah doesn't demand someone be a nazir. How does one get that identity of a nazir? Because they vow, through a vow, through words, we change reality. It's the bridge between the spiritual and the physical. We transform reality, and that's the meaning of the bracha umafli lasos. And where did Ravam get that from? The dibor is hafla, and umafli lasos is the bridge of speech, physical and the spiritual. It's from this pasuk ki yafli, ki yafli. Ozer Plaus also has something to say about this and about everything else, and says the following. He says Naziris is an inyapela, the Ibn Ezra yafli Miloshan pella. Most of the world say, that looks good. I want to drink that. I want to eat that. I want to try that. I want to enjoy that. The Torah doesn't give us enough restrictions. The Torah doesn't eliminate enough options for us. And yet this Nazir went ahead and made it even more narrow, made it even more restrictive. That's a pella. What a wonder. That a person could transcend their taiva, their, their impulse and eliminate options and have even more narrow choices, that's nothing short of a pella. And that's why it's la hafli ki afli. What a pella! What a wonder someone could be on that, on that high level, on that high level. Why is that called a pella? He goes on. He has so much to talk about here, All right, but there's so much more I want to get to. So let's move on. The Nazir, What happens? A Nazir can't take a term of less than 30 days. Stam Nazir says 30 days. He could take on a term for the rest of his life. But when he concludes his term, Bring him to the entrance of the Omoed. That's a funny way to describe it. Who's bringing whom? Bring him to the entrance of the O'omoi. Who's bringing whom? Yavio so. So. Sorry. Rashi says, Yavio so. Who's bringing him? He is. He's bringing him. Yavio so zog Rashi. Yavio Brings himself. Meaning he should be so changed, so grown, so different, so elevated from this experience that he is internally self-motivated. Yavi he brings himself. The Svarno says, When you are moved and inspired to do something new, we describe it as you brought yourself. In the other cases, it's someone else who brings that deficient person. But here, in the case of the person who's grown from the experience, he brings himself. So said, Revyosev Le Bloch, the Rosh Hashib tells, A person. Who wants to take on a new practice, who wants to grow to a new madrega, grow to a new level in their life. Who If you want to grow and you want to improve, you cannot do it on your own. It's a mistake. No matter how proud, no matter how independent you think you are, until you're on the level of doing it, you can't be Yaviyas Atzmo. It's only the Nazir at the end of his term who can bring himself. All the other, according to the Svarno, all the other people, the Mitsora, the sota, the Eved, when a person wants to transform and grow, when you want to take a major step, you need help, you need assistance, you need support, you need someone to bring you. It's only the Nazir at the end of his turn. It's all term, it's only when he's already experienced the inspiration, only now can he bring, can he bring himself. Perch of Pasuch of Gimel. We move on from the Nazir to the Birchas Kohenim. I don't even know if we're going to get to the Nesim. All the repetitive Nesim that we read on the Hanukkah. Oh, so much to say. Parshas Nasa, the longest parsha in the Torah. So much to say. Some of we should have double parsha class. Should have been. But alas, Baruch Hashem another simcha, i got to get to the airport. Paruch Vav Potuch of Gimel. V'ydab HaShem HaMosheh L'amor, the Rebbe B'nei Yisrael V'ya of L'amor. Ko Sevaruchu Ez B'nei Yisrael, Amor Lahem. Speak to Aaron, to his son, saying, Thus shall you bless my children. Speak, say to them. Ko, Ko Sevaruchu, Amor Lahem. Amor Lahem. Where'd they get this bracha from? So it's the Torah called a Medrash. Kojborchu gave Avram a bracha. He said, Veheye bracha. The brachas are in your hand. You, Avram, are the steward of, embe- of brachas, of blessings. You have the key, you have the power to bless. Avram gave it to Yitzchak, Yitzchak gave it to Yaakov. Yaakov gave it to the 12 Shvatim, and then it was given to the Kohanim. Mikan ve'elachari brachas, Masurus lachem. Hakonim yum avarachem is Yisrael. Keshem shamariti lavram avim veyeye bracha as Bnei Yisrael. Where did the Kohanim inherit the power to give the bracha? From Avram, who got the original power, heyei bracha, who gave it to Yitzchak, who gave it to Yaakov, who gave it to Yaakov. This may be, he quotes from Moshe Chagiz, this may be the mucker, why some Ashkenaz have the minag of mumbling a pasuk after each of the birchas kohanim, ken yiratzom b'zuchos Avram avinu. Ken yiretzvam b'schus Yitzchak avinu, Ken b'schus Yaakov avinu, the origin might be this medrash, because where did the koanam get this power? The bracha that we are receiving comes originally from Avram, who gave it to Yitzchak, who gave it to Yaakov, who gave it to the shvatim, who handed that key exclusively to the koanam, who gave it to us, and that's why we say, yiretzvam b'schus Avram avinu, yiretzvam b'schus Yitzchak, Ah b'schus Yaakov, because that was the chain through which it came to us. This might be alluded to in the pasuk itself. Why? is So take this power. Where did it come from? It came from Avram. Where did Avram get it from? He doesn't mention this, but maybe. When Hashem told Avram go outside, Ko ye Yezarecha. So the Ko of Ko Yezarecha and Vaniva Vanaar Nelcha al Ko at the Akedah, is the Ko Sevurchu as Bnei Yisrael that the power of the Kohanim came from Avram Yitzchak and came from Yaakov. It's a beautiful. Let's get in a few more. Where does it come? The Kohanim have to give the bracha bi'ava. Why did Kohanim Dafka have to give this bracha ba'ava? I don't have to shake the lulav ba'ava with love. I don't have to blow the shofar with love. Light the Hanukkah candles with love. Keep Shabbos with love. Here it has to be, Yisrael, bi'ahava. And this is Pascha in the Shulchan Aruch, Aruch Chav Ches. And the Moggen Avram says, B'ahava. The Magen Avram quotes from the Zohar, for Cohen's in a bad mood, Cohen's angry, negative, miserable, for bisonah. The Kohen doesn't get along with somebody who's in the Sibur, then the Kohen can't Tuchen. Can't, Kohen can't do a Ba'ava? They can't Tuchen. They can't Tuchen. Where they get this Ba'ava? Why dafka? this Bracha has to be Ba'ava? So the Chai says Why? The Ava is not just Ava Sisrael, it's Ava Hashem. The coin has to be in a good place with the relationship of Hashem to be his ambassador, his steward, to be his transfer agent, to take the bracha from Hashem and to give it to, to give it to Kla Yisrael. It's to come from a place of love. A bracha can't come from a negative place. It has to come from a place of love. Bi'ahava, and humility. And the person who's giving it is also representing Hashem. Beko Ram, the Yerushalmi says, B'kolo with the voice of the most exalted, kolo Hashem mixes His voice in with the Kohanim when they give their bracha. Hashem is blessing with them, and maybe that's the reason. the ze, Hashem is dwelling with them and giving the bracha with them from that platform. I really wanted to get to. Maybe we'll end with this. A beautiful, we spoke on Shavuos, it's been a big talk lately, in our shul and elsewhere. Does Hashem need us? Does He need our mitzvos? Does Hashem need us? We omnipotent, infinite, perfect, all-knowing. He has no needs. To need is to mean you lack. If you lack, you're not perfect and omnipotent and omniscient. So we spoke about Hashem chooses to need us. He's not like AI or a robot. He's not an algorithm or programmed or coded. Hashem. Chooses to need us, he gets a nachas ruach from us, and we went through many, many, many sources. So here, the Gemara Tzotza says, "Minay Hashem Baruch Hu Misava LeBirchas Kovanim." How do you know Hashem Baruch Hu wants needs the birchas kovanim? Rashi, Tala Kusel Hadavar Ben Lios Brachas Dusim As Shmuel Amo Velo asat Sorach Israel, Ella Sorach Makom. Rashi, Rashi on. The Gemara Sotalam on our parsha. It's not Tzorach Yisrael. The Birchas Kohanim is not satisfying a need that we have, though we need and desperately want those brachas. Rather, it's a Tzorach Makom. Aye, how could you talk about Tzorach Makom? Hashem has needs. There's so much to say, but we're out of time. What need does Hashem have? He needs the. How does it help him? Birchas Kohanim helps him. It's a need that he has. How does it help him? What is it, his need? Next year, Parshas Nassau will pick up over here. Amir Hashem. Till next time, stay happy, stay healthy. Stay holy.